2: Another week back, the top baseball podcast on iTunes for the demographic of one to three-year-olds. The show before the show podcast returns for episode number 159. I don't know if that's uh, an actual designation, but I'm sure it is.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Is is there, I know they have like adult content warnings on certain podcasts. Toddler
2: content warnings.
0: Yeah, this is this is completely safe for your 1 to 3 year old. That would be great. <laughs>
2: that's uh that's what we've heard. We know we're big with the kids these days and uh it's, you know, to be honest, it's our target market. That's the level yeah. of maturity in our conversation generally, anyway. So I think we're doing a good job. And with that, we welcome. I'm dabbing you as we speak. To this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. I am Tyler Mon. He is Sam Dykster. We talk about all of the biggest and brightest news in minor league baseball from week to week from MILB.com, the official site of minor league baseball, and which you can head to right now and check out what's going on around the minor leagues. We're going to talk about a lot of it coming up. But before you do that, uh, take you know, 20 seconds out of your day and give us a rating and review and a subscription because it helps. Get new two-year-old ears onto the podcast and uh, we can, you know, get a gauge of just how much you love us because we only allow five-star reviews on our iTunes account. So um, just in case you find us there, it's just like a glitch. You can only give us five stars so you're aware going in. Um, But we welcome you into this week's episode and let's dive into it. Let's get it going. Three strikes. We, every week, discuss three topics across minor league baseball. And we start things off this week. With a toolshed column from one Sam Dykstra, which is in regards to we've seen so many quick jumps to the big leagues already this season. Ronald Acuna is crushing everything up at the major league level. Uh, we've already seen big climbs in the minor leagues as well. Jesus Luzardo, who we had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, we thought it was an aggressive assignment out of the gate for him to go to Class A advance. He's already at Double A. Um, where Sam, right now, are you looking at? with prospects moving up guys who could be making that next surprising jump maybe guys who make the big leagues what's standing out to you
0: yeah so i wrote this for last friday already so it's actually a little dated in the sense that austin riley led the column and he's already been called up to triple a Gwinnett from double a mississippi which yeah might make the column a little dated it also proves it's right so that's pretty cool By the but, way, um what um, i yeah. wanted to look at in this By story
2: way, we we talked off air about how for like the first time in forever i was recording in my front room rather than my back room and this would be the one we've recorded 159 episodes of this show and the one time that a fire truck drives down <laughs> my street with the siren on is when i'm sitting in front of an open window anyway please continue
0: <laughs> i feel like that's something i always have to explain to my mom here in manhattan it's <laughs> like yeah there's a lot of fire trucks there's nothing <laughs> i can there do always about
2: sirens it. going on yeah. anyway please continue
0: so yeah so this this ran last friday um, but basically the idea behind it was that yeah we're always looking at who's going to make the majors and acuna was one of those glaber torres is another uh and and organizations kind of play it by year when it comes to the majors there's no real hard and fast rule other than some service time stuff here and there um within the minors promotions usually follow a pretty strict schedule it's that you know if a guy can get really hot in the first half you let him get acknowledged with a trip to his all-star game or at least getting named to his all-star team in his particular league once that happens once he gets that on his resume or on his MILB.com player page uh, that's when the promotions start happening typically mid late June that kind of thing um, But we've already seen a couple guys get promoted here early May late April and they've kind of fit the same rubric um, guys like Juan Soto Dane Dunning Steven Gonzalves uh, Justice Sheffield all of these guys were repeating a level not necessarily in a bad way, not that they were bad last year at this level. It was just in like Soto's case, uh, you know, didn't get a lot of time there last year because of injuries, or, um, you know, Dane Dunning's case. Uh, he ended the year at Class A Advanced Winston-Salem, so they didn't really get it much work there. They allowed him to repeat it, get more experience. Um, anyways, these are guys who are repeating levels, getting off to really hot starts, ready for new challenges. Um, you know, th- it's not exactly an aggressive push to promote them, but you know, they they started where they ended last year. This could be a, get really inter- interesting. So the guy who kind of fits that for me right now is somebody who I'm actually writing about right now for the site. In Eloy H- Jimenez, um, we're speaking to you Wednesday. We're speaking to you late on Wednesday. So Birmingham has already played today. Uh, Eloy Jimenez got two doubles in that game, went two for three. Then was pulled in the seventh inning couple people, including myself, that's going to raise some eyebrows, make people think that, you know, did he get pulled for a promotion? Did he have a plane to catch? Whatever. Uh, Everything I've been told, everything I've seen so far is that it was just a managerial decision. It was a blowout at that point. They probably don't need him to hit anymore. He had his two hits. He continued his multi-hit game streak to nine games. Um, So, you know, Jimenez did everything he need to in that game they're probably just giving him a little bit of rest um but over those nine games he is 19 for 39 with three homers and seven doubles uh you know this is a guy who we all thought would be one of the best power bats in the minors tyler will have something to talk about that later in the third strike um but through 20 games back with birmingham he's hitting 346 with a 1.079 ops uh last year or including last year's numbers in birmingham so that's over 38 career games at the double a level he has a 349 average and a 1.023 ops with 10 homers and 13 doubles again in 38 games uh I don't really see how much he has to prove here at Birmingham anymore. I know 38 games isn't a great sample, but he keeps being as consistent as you can possibly be. Collecting two hits or three hits, you know, multiple hits in a game over and over and over like this will kind of tell you that, yeah, you know, he needs to be at least challenged soon, and a jump to AAA Charlotte would certainly do that. Um, earlier today, Rick Hahn had a quote that said traditionally you tend not to do too many promotions before the halfway mark that kind of ties into what I was saying earlier about promoting around the all-star game um, but and this is back to Han certainly the way Eloy has performed thus far it might require an adjustment here in the coming weeks so that wouldn't say yes it's imminent yes it's gonna happen by this weekend yes it's happening today as we all thought it just a couple hours ago but Uh, The White Sox are obviously taking note of how well Jimenez is playing, how well he's hitting the ball. And they're willing to adjust their organizational kind of plan for him going forward. Um, Some people have tweeted me already today thinking, could he jump straight to the majors? I don't think that's going to happen. The White Sox are sitting at the basement of the AL Central, kind of as we all expected. They're not going to just call up... Jimenez, you know, to see him struggle or to start his service clock before they need to. Uh, They'll when they have another level that he has not played at. Triple A Charlotte is definitely more in play here, so um, we'll we'll have to see. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens within the next two weeks or so. Um, But given the way he's played lately, Jimenez is certainly looking like a Triple A caliber player at the very least.
2: So get excited, White Sox fans. He's, uh, he's making the climb. Might not be making the climb as, as quickly as you would like just out of strict impatience but that's because we get excited about prospects like that um, and coming along at a very good rate in the White Sox system. Unfortunately, uh, Strike 2 this week talks about some guys who are going to be coming along a lot slower, and unfortunately, one of those guys is in the White Sox organization. There have been injuries all over the place for top prospects. Nate Pearson in the Toronto Blue Jays organization took a line drive off of his arm out four to six weeks after his debut. Mauricio Dubon, the infielder and the number 10 prospect in the Milwaukee Brewers organization, tore his ACL back over the weekend in a rundown for A Colorado Springs. And the White Sox, uh, with their top draft selection from last year, uh, were going to be without the services of Jake Berger for a little while. Jake Berger re-tore his Achilles tendon, which he initially ruptured back in February and then re-tore it. This month, which is just awful, but the 11th overall pick from last year's draft uh, is going to be out for what looks like presumably a year and maybe more from now upon re-injuring that Achilles. This is weird. We don't often see this glut of season-ending injuries, especially for you know position player guys. It's kind of different, um, but this is this is a real big bummer.
0: Yeah, it kind of reminds me of back in the spring when we had a couple injuries right in a row, and we said this is what happens when guys start playing baseball again. Um, they have the chance to get hurt. You know, I remember Honeywell got Tommy John surgery, and I was just kind of screaming at the sky, just being like, "Darn you baseball! You're so fun, but you can also kill us in this way." Uh, they really just piled up this last week. If there's one that seems devastating to me. It feels like Dubon, to be honest with you, Um, you know, number 10 prospect in a pretty good Brewer system, obviously not as good as it once was following some trades, specifically that one to get Christian Yelich in the system. But, uh, you know, Dubon was riding a 23-game hit streak, and he was hitting 343 for Colorado Springs with a 922 OPS, uh, four homers, two triples, nine doubles in 27 games. You know this is a guy who was who was fulfilling his potential he was certainly looking better offensively uh than he had since 2016 when he was in the red sox system uh really seemed to be putting it all together again when i was saying about him and as uh dubon was extremely consistent and you talk to anybody in the minors they love consistency and to see it just wrecked with an injury like this and such a freak injury uh like tyler said it was in a rundown uh it's just so devastating you know i I think he could have really helped the brewers this year um up the middle you know orlando arcia i don't think has been exactly everything they wanted him to be not that i'm saying dubon could have you know taken his spot at shortstop but maybe he could have at least pressured him at the very least he you know there were certainly signs that that was about to happen he had some experience at second base they could have made that work as well um You know, to to see that happen with him being so hot at the plate is really just devastating to me. Um, But Berger's injury is just horrifyingly gruesome. Uh, Tyler and I were talking in our Slack channel earlier today about just how weird Achilles ruptures can be. Sometimes they can happen out of nowhere. You know, the the initial one happened when he was just running down to first base. Again, nothing too strenuous, nothing crazy. Uh, And then to hear that he was he ruptured it again just at his home in Arizona Um, is extremely difficult this was a guy who was already going to be missing you know his 2018 season which was supposed to be his first full season in the minors and you know he had about 10 weeks of rehab after initial surgery now he had to undergo that same surgery again pushes back that rehab pushes back a potential return another 10 weeks Um, this is a guy I really wanted to see on the field at some point uh, really show his power potential, something he showed at Missouri State that led him to be a, such a high pick last year. Uh, and to hear that that's going to be delayed as well is just really tough to hear and write about. But uh, we'll keep an eye on that when he does come back next spring and, and what he's able to do. Because we won't know exactly what type of player he'll be, What how that will affect him. Not that he was a speedy guy to begin with, but uh, you know what kind of effect that will have on his overall prospect profile until he's back you know, maybe next May, maybe next June.
2: Yeah, really unfortunate. Um, the. The segments of the fan base that really want to see these guys graduate and make impacts at the major league level, I think sometimes you don't really understand just how much an organization needs to slow things down for prospects after injuries either. Um, and in a case of somebody like Dubon with, with an ACL tear uh, or maybe even more with Jake Berger, especially the fact that he re the Achilles you have to bring those guys back very slowly. So I wouldn't expect to be seeing Mauricio Dubon before the middle of next season. Jake Berger, I mean, this is going to be a while now to to see a recovery from an injury that was already underway but wasn't really that far down the track of getting healthy again. Um, and then to see it retorn, then it makes you even more cautious with what happens next. So, um, if you're a fan of, of one of these guys or both of these guys or prospects like them, just keep that in mind because it's not, these are not easy things. They're not easy decisions for organizations to make as far as surgeries and rehab and all that stuff goes, um. These are young guys, and they have a lot of their professional lives ahead of them. Uh, So be patient. It's not easy to be patient, but attempt to be patient. Uh, Strike three this week, Sam. We have discussed uh, more than in seasons past. We've discussed our preseason predictions and just how good we have been in predicting things preseason. But the Bauman Home Run Award, we've already seen a glut of homers across the minor leagues, including for some of us who made our selections on the Show Before the Show podcast preseason episode. Um, Give us a, a little update. Where are we standing right now?
0: yeah so I I wanted to do this for two reasons one I promised to do this on the blog and I didn't really have a chance to do it uh, for the first week of May so I figured we might as well do it here which was the original place we talked about our predictions anyway Um, but also there's a guy who I want to talk about in a little bit who's actually leading the Bauman home run race who none of us had but that's okay because I I, I think we could have gotten 50 guesses each and not gotten this guy Um, but uh, if for those of you who missed out before the season, we did an opening day kind of mega cast. It was me, Tyler, uh, Josh Jackson and Kelsey Hannigan, both of whom have been on the podcast numerous times and both write for the site and do great work. Um, but we all w- had a round table on some predictions and one of them is the Bowman home runner award, w- which is given to the Meyer leader with the most home runs. Uh, looking back on that now, it's really funny as things stand right now, uh, my picks cause I made two cause I'm an idiot looking back. I shouldn't have done that, but <laughs> here we are. Uh, my picks, Tyler's pick and Josh's pick all have seven home runs as of right now, which is very interesting. So I had Dylan cousins and DJ Peters. They both have seven home runs. Tyler had Eloy Jimenez who also has seven home runs, which is good for Tyler because he missed the first two weeks of the season with a pectoral injury. So the fact that he's already caught up to my picks is a little worrisome for me, but whatever. Um, And Josh's pick, Casey Golden, in the Rocky system, also has seven home runs for Class A Asheville. Kelsey's pick, Emmanuel Tapia, in the Cleveland Indians system, has only two homers through 25 games. So Kelsey is very much behind the pack right now. Um, you know, just the first season, but that's that's a big place to catch up. And, it's a four horse uh, race, right? I feel
2: like we got to make you you gotta you gotta pick one. If we're gonna be doing this, through, yeah. No, I the think I've unofficially on, picked Sam.
0: DJ Peters. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, okay. in my conversations with with uh, Josh, because Josh will like at me whenever DJ Peters has a two homer <laughs> game. Um, I'm officially on the DJ Peters, and that you can't claim bias or anything. Like I'm choosing the the favorite here because they're equal footing which is pretty cool. Okay. You know what I mean? Like I'm not picking the guy with more homers. Um, But do you know who the minor league leader is in home runs right now, Tyler? Uh,
2: It was Jabari Blash. It was Jabari Blash. He just got called up to the uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Um, Hmm. Behind Jabari Blash, I know that I uh, recently looked at this and now I cannot remember who for the life of me.
0: All right. Well, it's somebody who we should be talking about on the podcast. Part of the reason why we're doing this. Um, it's Fran Mil Reyes. Oh, the that's Padres right.
2: System. In the Padres organization.
0: Yes. Fran Mil- Reyes went on like
2: in- a bajillion home runs last week.
0: Right. Yeah. He went on an insane run between May 2nd and May 6th. Over five games, he hit eight home runs in a three game stretch Pretty alone. Good. He hit two homers in three straight games. Uh, just went absolutely off. Over those five games, he hit more home runs than any of our picks have for the entire season, which is absolutely nuts. Uh, Reyes, you know, he's in that El Paso or he's in that Padre system right now. Um, you know, coming off a 25 homer season last year at San Antonio, more than halfway there with 13 this year for El Paso in 103 fewer games, which is absolutely nuts. Um, part of that has to do with playing in the, you know, PCL. Obviously, that that'll certainly help things out um you know making that jump from the texas league to the pcl uh but he split those games between albuquerque which is a pretty good launching pad and at home at el paso which is also a pretty good launching pad so he has some advantages there but when we're talking in the Bowman race that's usually what it takes guys playing at redding guys playing in the california league the pcl uh these are usually the guys who are going to be winning this award so framel reyes is your leader at this juncture um we'll we'll be keeping a close eye on it see you know as as we discussed when we had the opening day mega cast, you know it's tough to pick a triple a guy because if he does so well he's going to be in the majors and major league home runs do not count in the bowman race um so reyes is certainly putting himself in that conversation uh jabari blash like you said tyler was the minor league leader now he's in the majors it's going to hurt him there but he's not going to complain um so we'll do this again in june whether it's on the blog whether it's back here keep your eyes and ears peeled and we'll let you guys know
2: yeah um this is gonna be uh it's gonna be a race to the finish buddy this is we don't screw around with these award chases that we monitor season long, although this is the first time that we've really done it. Um, by the way, the the very pleasant background audio this week, in addition to the fire truck driving by, my dog just decided to chew a bone like right next to the microphone. So I learned <laughs> my lesson and will never again be recording.
0: Um, it's good and... thing she's chewing the bone though, and not the microphone itself.
2: That's true. That's true. That is a positive thing. Um, you know, we uh, we try to. Try to make it a, a constructive experience when it comes to recording the podcast and being obnoxiously loud in the background for the dog. It's a good thing. Um, that'll do it for three strikes on this week's edition of the show before the show. Um, wanted to uh, plug one thing. Well, I've got a story that's on the site as of now, if you're reading this on Thursday. And that was a fun one to put together. It was uh, the Round Rock Express over the offseason season basically gave up their ballpark for the entire offseason to the Network AMC and Stalwart Films, which is the production company behind not only The Walking Dead, but Fear the Walking Dead. And season four of Fear the Walking Dead was filmed in part Uh, at the ballpark known as Dell Diamond this offseason and uh, it was kind of interesting tracking back to the genesis of this and seeing the stories from the early fall in which people around Round Rock, there was a photographer who released drone photos over Dell Diamond showing like a settlement being built on the field and then that sent the Austin and Round Rock areas nuts with rumors of what was being shot there Uh, and eventually it was confirmed that it was Fear the Walking Dead but it's just a crazy story. The amount of work that went into filming this this show over the offseason at Dell Diamond um, in which the Round Rock Express had to physically kill their entire field with Roundup because the new grass that they put in prior to last season was so resilient that it wouldn't die and it wouldn't give them the look of an abandoned baseball stadium where these people are making their lives now uh, and fleeing the zombie apocalypse. So interesting story. It's up on the site today, and uh, you can check it out, nmilb.com
0: yeah very cool well now we're, we'll be moving to our guest this week um who we haven't really introduced yet um so I'll, i guess i'll take that uh which is potomac manager trip keister um tyler was working on a story today tyler's been working day shift alongside me which has been a lot so of fun. fun yes it fun. is so much fun uh it's great to have tyler actually being able to chat back and forth about stuff all yeah. day it's um but Tyler's working on a story so it's just gonna be my conversation with trip uh, but I did get to pull a Tyler move which I'll tell Tyler about now and you guys will hear at the end of the interview I got to talk to Trip Keister about where he started in the Meyer leagues as a player which is one of my favorite Meyer league stops which was with the Pittsfield Mets so it was like Tyler asking people about the Denver Bears this oh, is yeah. my version of that
2: very cool and it's coming up next
0: All right. On this week's episode of the show before the show, the Minor League Baseball podcast, we're joined by Potomac manager, uh, manager of the High A affiliate in the Washington National Sy- system, Trip Keister. Trip, how are you doing?
1: Good, Sam. How are you?
0: Good. Good. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Uh, we wanted to get you on the show. You, you guys have a obviously loaded roster there in Potomac. Um, how has this first month-plus been for you guys? I know there's been a little bit of movement here and there, but uh, just describe to us what this first you know month-plus of the season has been.
1: Well, it's funny. I think like anybody that's in this uh, uh, part of the country, I think weather has dominated uh, the first month. Uh, we have found a way to play every game on time and uh, haven't been canceled yet at all. And so uh, it, it's been good getting to know that uh, this league is always – uh interesting the first uh the first uh month because you play the same team so often the way the schedule works and uh so getting uh, uh getting the team uh, uh ready to play every night and uh and, and going through uh you know making adjustments and going through the league uh sometimes three four times like we have like we're doing right now is uh has been uh has been quite a challenge but no it's uh, it's part of the job and it's been it's been good
0: yeah, so let's get into some of the guys who are on that team with you. Um, obviously, I feel like we have to start with Juan Soto. I know he's only been there for about a dozen games with you guys, 14. Um, but he's already hit six, six homers. He's already done as well with you guys as he did with Hagerstown before the promotion. Um, what has it been like having him around and adding his bat to this lineup? And how has he been able to take to you know Class A advance so quickly?
1: Well, first of all, it's been kind of a learning process for me because I didn't really know him that well uh when I was in instructional league last year um I usually go to instructional league uh, every year and uh he was it was just I, I know him as an outfielder because I'm part of the uh the, the group that works with the outfielders and uh I know him more there but offensively I wasn't around him much he was either on another field or uh he was playing a game that I wasn't managing it was it was kind of a Weird thing. So I hadn't been around him a, a lot. So I've kind of gotten to know him a little bit more and watched him play. And and obviously, uh, you know, his numbers are what they are. And and, and I think uh, um, he he. The one thing that stands out to me is he he loves to play. He's learning every day, um, defensively, uh, offensively, uh, on the base on the bases, uh, just things like that that uh, um, that every player has to go through at every level. And uh, and that's what we've been. You know he's kind of working on everything, and it's been uh, it's been great. He has had some success early. Um, he's gotten in some good hitters counts. Uh, one of the things that that does stand out to me about him is his uh, his plate discipline, his uh, his pitch recognition. Um, but then he had a hiccup last night too. You know he struck out three times, and and that's what happens. You know guys, young guys in this league. Uh, um, that this is the same uh, pitching staff that we faced uh, a week ago, and and so you know they've made adjustments and. How we adjust to that is, is all part of the learning process so so uh yeah Juan's off to a, a good start it's, it's, it's still re- very early and i think uh um he's gonna have uh he's gonna have success but i also think you know it's, it's a process he's gonna have to go through here too so that's kind of where we are with him yeah, and last year when you were the
0: manager with the Peanuts, you guys obviously had a skilled outfielder in Victor Robles. Uh, you know, they have different skill sets. I kind of get that, but um, what is it like working with these outfielders who are coming in so hyped? You know, and, and like you said, they're adjusting to levels they haven't seen before, pitching they haven't seen before. Um, with both of those guys, what was the biggest thing about getting them used
1: to you know pitching in or hitting in the Carolina League? Yeah, you know, the one thing that sticks out to me about both of those guys is they love to play. They come to the park every day, and they and they and they love to play and you can tell that. And I think I think they love the game and I think that is refreshing. They're both young. They they're both uh, you know, who knows what lies ahead of them, but but it's uh it's just fun to uh to be around them every day, you know, Victor had this had this personality that was, uh, you know, he brought everybody in. He was a great teammate, and, and Juan's very similar in that. He's, you know, he he he's his youthful exuberance is uh, is uh, infectious. There's no doubt about that. And, and uh, um, but yeah, you know, having those guys here, you know, we don't like. I, I try to tell people I, I don't change because it's a certain a certain uh, player or. You know a certain ranked prospect or for not a ranked prospect whatever we know we treat we coach all the guys and we 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 treat them as 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 best we can we love on them we uh we discipline them you know we teach them we correct them all that kind of stuff and and uh yeah you know I know that other people look at at the um you know at the at the big names or their rounds and the draft picks and I'll be honest with you I don't I just try to you know coach them as best I can, whoever that may be and, and try to get everybody better and, and obviously I know that people are watching Juan and people are watching Victor and I, I know that, I'm not I'm not stupid but I also know that, uh, hey, we've got to go through our process and this is our time to do it you know, when they're in the minor leagues and they make a mistake, whether, you know whoever it is, that's when we have to teach them because we don't want them making those mistakes when they go to D.C. you know, and that's, that's a big deal, so that's kind of where the way I approach it, and that's kind of the way that I've always done it and that's kind of just what I feel like we got to do with these guys so you know don't treat them any different they got to play they got to learn they, they're gonna make mistakes when they do correct them and let's make, hope they don't make it again and that's all we can do go from there hmm. Yeah,
0: and talk about that learning process um, You know, with another top prospect. I know, like you just said, you're treating them all the same, but Carter Keboom is a guy a lot of people were really excited to see The start the year with you guys in Potomac after some injury problems last year in Hagerstown. Um, normally a really exciting player, got off to a rough start, but seems to be turning it around now, and he's got a five-game h- hitting streak. What have you guys worked on with him offensively to help him adjust to this level and start to pick up his game here in May?
1: No doubt. He's, uh, he's a fun kid to watch. Um, you know, the big thing with him is he's got to – we want to keep him on the field, you know, taking care of himself. Uh, he, he's had some injuries kind of shortened his season the last two years, and uh, we got to get him to play, uh, be able to play every day, you know, keep him on the field. Um, but, but I'll tell you the truth, you know, if you look – if you uh, judge his game by the box score, it would be a disservice because he, he has had really good at-bats, he has you know probably led our team in in hard contact and 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 you know hadn't found some holes he's, he's not really good at hitting the ball where they ain't if you will and uh and uh he's had good at-bats his at-bats continue to, to to be good and uh um I'm fine with where he is we, we haven't really tweaked much with him offensively just playing every day um you know he's, he's really played good shortstop I think he I think he uh he's DH'd a couple games and I, I gave him a day off, Sunday to, 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 sit, but uh, uh, just a day off on Sunday to, 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 sit and not play. But man, he's been, he's been good. And I like where he is. I think he's, uh, he's just starting to come around uh, a little bit more, you know, in terms of getting his hits as, as opposed to just, you know, having a good at bat and not getting a hit, but uh, um, he's starting to kind of get something to show for it. So I, I like where he is right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of another guy who, I would imagine you're very happy the way, with the way he's starting to put things together and really is put things together here in the first month is Telmedo Augustine. Uh, you guys had him for a little bit last year, 33 games, but he hit only 206 with a 531 OPS really seems to be putting together what looks like a breakout season with you guys. Again, uh, 395 average through 24 games this time around. Is there something he's doing differently uh, this spring than last year or what do you feel like he took away from that previous experience last year in the Carolina league?
1: Well, it's funny you say that because I, I hope you're right because, you know, one of the things that we have the luxury of in this job is you get to know these 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 young men and, and you really root for them. You know, you see them work and you want them to have success. And he's one that last year, you know, I think he, he got sent back to Hagerstown and and um, he uh, – I, I don't even know how he did there. I th- I heard it was – you know, I heard he did well. But – but uh, and then in spring training he came and you could tell he was – he was kind of a different guy. He, he really worked was working at it. He improved with his defense. So you could tell he worked at it in the offseason. He improved, you know, offensively. He's, he just continues to have good at-bats um, versus lefties versus righties. Last night he hit a he hit a two-run homer uh, that gave us the lead, and then he hit another one that looked like it was gone and hit the top of the fence and um, ended up getting a single because of the way the, the base run thing worked out But uh, with the guys on base. But, no, it was uh, – he's had good at-bats, and he and just – you know, I just – Big thing for him is he just got to remain consistent. You know, not get too high, not get too low, but continue to have good at bats and uh, and good things have happened for him. He he um he can go the other way. He's worked on his two strike approach. Um, I think he is not unlike a lot of our hitters. Sam, where he has um you know we we really kind of started measuring and doing a much more uh, a much bigger emphasis on. You know, uh, plate discipline and, 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 and swinging at strikes and taking the balls and, and getting yourself in better counts, uh, better hitters counts, excuse me. And, um, and he's really benefited from that, you know, uh, uh, this year so far. So more of the same from him. Just want to keep him, you know, doing what he's doing and uh, uh, keep him ready to play. That's it. Cool. Well, there's.
0: I want to switch quickly to the pitching staff, and there's two guys I want to sure. touch on specifically. Sure. Uh, Will Crow was, you know, the Nats' second round pick last year out of 20, in the 2017 draft out of South Carolina. Seems to be really consistent, and at least in these first six starts, I don't think he's allowed more than three earned runs yet. Uh, his last one, he didn't allow any earned runs over five innings. Um, how do you feel like he's taken to pro ball, and what has been the focus for him here, getting through his first, you know, April in the minors and, and May?
1: Yeah, this is really his first uh, his first full season. So um, everything is an adjustment with him. The routine, the uh, every fifth day, um, you know, all of all of that has been something that we've really talked with him about. And 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 he's uh, you know, obviously he's had a good first month. His numbers his numbers say that. But uh, you know, he's a, he's a polished kid. He throws strikes. He's got uh, he's got feel for what he's doing. He he, uh, he holds runners. He He uh, he can can stop the running game with you know moves uh, with the way he um, uh, varies his holds, varies his looks. Um, He can throw four pitches for strikes. He'll he'll throw a secondary pitch for a strike behind an account. He's um he's a pretty polished kid and uh, um you know this is you know this like I said this is his first full season it's really his first month of his first full season. So um, it's all been a learning process for him. He's actually been kind of the one that's gotten the, the majority of our like ten thirty a.m. games and the one o'clock games, so he's had some uh he hasn't really gotten in the routine of uh of getting a uh um you know getting on a roll in terms of a, a start that's uh you know routine of of a seven o'clock game he, he's had a lot of day games and um he's adapted well and, and I, I I you know I'm still getting to know him a little bit and how he how he responds to to his adversity uh within the uh within an inning You know, he he really does uh, have a good feel for what he's doing, and uh, uh, he's been fun to watch. He's been a pleasant surprise, no doubt.
0: Yeah, and, and going the kind of other direction in last year's draft, Gabe Klobositz was a 36-round pick. I know you have a little bit of experience there. You were taken to the 33rd round yourself uh, yeah. with the Mets in 92, but um, yep. such an imposing presence on the mound for this guy, six foot seven. He's listed at 270. Uh, it seems to be at least upward trajectory despite the draft status. Um, you know, what has kind of stuck out to you about him, and why do you feel like he may have been a little bit of a hidden gem in last year's draft?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a that's a really good uh, 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 you know 36 round pick. There's no doubt about that. I mean, he, he well, first off, his fastball velocity he, he sits in the mid to upper 90s. Um, he throws strikes uh, with with really good angle, um, and then he's got that slider and that split that he'll he'll go to. And um, um, yeah, he, he's done a really good job in leverage spots. We've start, kind of moved him into a to a role at the end of the game. Um, we don't really have a, uh, we don't really use just a, a, a quote unquote closer. We have a couple guys that we kind of pitch at the end of the game. And he's one of those guys that has um, really responded to those leverage situations. And, uh, and um, he's been fun to watch, you know, his, his, um like you said, he's an imposing, he's got, he's got very good mound presence. He's an imposing figure on the mound, but he brings that fastball with him too. And, and gets that good angle at the bottom of the zone. And then, throws that slider and that split and he's uh he's a tough at bat there's no doubt all right triple we'll we'll end
0: on this one uh my co-host tyler who unfortunately is working on a story right now couldn't join us but he usually likes to ask anybody he can about defunct minor league teams and his favorite is the denver bears my favorite is the pittsfield mets who you played for in 92 uh for 68 games (laughs) And I'm a Western Mass native. I grew up, you know, about an hour east of Pittsfield. Um, What kind of memories do you have of of playing there and, and, you know, what it was like for you? That was your first minor league team. So uh, what do you kind of remember about the Pittsfield Mets?
1: Man, the first thing that sticks out, and Sam, I know if you're from there and you're from Western Mass, you know this, that the first thing that sticks out about Pittsfield is the the sun delay. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. You'd play the first inning, or maybe even the first uh, uh, half of the first inning, and then you'd come up, and it would always be like I was, I was, I would either lead off or hit second, and then so it would always be where your first at bat if 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 they didn't want to stop the game, you'd have the sun in your face, so or if they stopped the game, then you'd wait like thirty to forty minutes for the sun to go below the trees, and then you'd have your first at bat, so it was just crazy the whole sun delay guys would just be sitting around waiting for the sun to go down. And, and then that was, uh, for so that was one thing. And then the other thing is, um, you know, I, I just remember we had, uh, what I remember most is we, that was the first time that really, there wasn't interleague play then. Um, if you remember in the major leagues, it hadn't happened yet. So when we played the Yankees, it was such a big deal, you know, the Mets and the Yankees cause the Yankees were in Oneonta and, you know and I, I didn't really I grew up a Phillies fan so I didn't really care about the Mets and the Yankees and then we go there and then everybody's crazy about the Mets and the Yankees robbery and you, had, <laughs> you got into that you got into that in a hurry I just I kind of that, that's something that stuck out to me too but no I loved being in uh, that, that league was a was a fun league. I think we had one day off a month uh, for three you know three months it was hurry and play and, and play a lot of games and it was uh, it was pretty good I, uh, I really enjoyed my time there. Yeah, just for background for folks at home, uh, Wakona Park, where the Pittsfield
0: Mets used to play, was one of two places, two ballparks in minor league baseball that were built facing west. Why they did that, nobody knows. The other one was Sam Lynn Ballpark in Bakersfield, which is also now defunct. You can probably guess why. Um, But the the Pittsfield... Does there is a team that plays there now in a collegiate league, and of course they are called the Pittsfield Suns. So pretty neat. But <laughs> thanks so much for joining us, trip. This was this has been great, and uh, good luck the rest of the way down there in Potomac.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, Sam. Thanks for having me.
2: We are post road trip for the first time this season with Benjamin Hill, who hit the road through the Baltimore Orioles organization uh, over the last. Weekend, The Delmarva Shorebirds, the Class A affiliate of the Orioles in the South Atlantic League, and the A affiliate of the Orioles, the Bowie Bay Sox, were road trip stops one and two for Ben in 2018.
3: How was it, Ben? Oh, it was great. And uh, hello, Tyler, and hello, Sam, hello. sitting to my
0: left. Sitting to the left is – I actually thought about that this week. Also, hello, Ben, just yeah. before I railroad your greeting. Yeah,
3: um,
0: Yeah, thought about that this week. Everybody update your charts.
3: Yeah, <laughs> for those keeping school hard Those keeping, score <laughs> at home. keeping tabs on this. Yeah, um, But, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at my travels this season or these travels taking place in the month of May. I mean, on one hand, I'm post-road trip and that I did do uh, Del Marva and Bowie uh, last Friday and Saturday. But I also consider myself sort of mid-road trip with a pause on the road trip because uh, I'm hitting the road again this weekend and then the following Friday. We can get into all that. But it's all the Northeast, so at the end of the day, I'll look at it all as one road trip in segments. So I'm kind of getting a little avant-garde with my scheduling here. Um, but, yes. Let's, let's go back to this weekend. Um, I started my 2018 road trip campaign in Delmarva, the home of the shorebirds, uh, specifically a town name that is not hard to pronounce, but I'll say it wrong anyway. Salisbury. Salisbury. I know there's like a lot of... Uh,
0: How would you say that wrong?
3: Because I think you got to get it right. You know, Maryland has a very specific accent and I can't do it right. It reminds me a little of Pittsburgh on the Eastern Shore. Very distinct O's. Uh, like, a oh, home run. Let's get an ice cream cone, uh, that, that kind of thing. That is
2: true. I had, a, I had a roommate from that area my first year working in the minor leagues. It's exactly – I never realized that that was like – that that was that specific region's accent. Also, I didn't know until like my – it was probably my first year working in the minors, but I never knew that Delmarva referred to Delaware, Maryland, Virginia. If you're somebody who is not from that area, you probably just think that it's a <laughs> team that plays in a town called Delmarva, but that is a reference to the, uh, the region.
3: Absolutely correct you are but um, Specifically they represent all three of those States or portions of those three states but uh, They do play in Salisbury Maryland uh, Hadn't been to Purdue Stadium uh, In seven years, so I was definitely overdue. And it's Purdue Stadium, as in the chicken company. Uh, The headquarters are across the street. Uh, The Purdue family was instrumental in getting the team located there in the first place. Um, You know, most of the employment around that area is um, related to the chicken industry, not just Purdue, but some other companies as well as chicken feed. Because if you got a lot of chickens, you got to feed the chickens. So um, you know, it's not a huge market. Um, It's there's a lot of open space in that area. Uh, but it's an interesting place for a team, and uh, I, I, I like what those guys do. Chris Bitters, the GM, has been there for a long time, and it was Star Wars night when I got there, and uh, they were giving away many Machado Stormtrooper bobbleheads. Uh, so it's kind of cool to stand out front and watch the people line up and try to guess how many fans were there, and if it was a 1,000, and were they going to run out, and to hang out with the GM. Uh, Chris, as he was on the walkie-talkie, sort of trying to orchestrate the distribution of the bobbleheads between the three different uh, entrances and that sort of thing. You know, the minutiae of minor league baseball that's still uh, – uh, still brings me joy uh, so it was, it was a good night there um, I think I'll do a story at some point of course you know with these road trips I, I, I dole out the material over a decent amount of time um, but always look for the weird fans and the, the strange people and there is the uh, Pedro Florimon fan club was in attendance on this ball game and um, you know Pedro Florimon is now uh, in his 30s he is uh, on the Philadelphia Phillies utility man and this fan club goes back to 10 years ago when he was a Delmarva Shorebird so I kind of like showing up in a minor league game and seeing something like that a bunch of older dudes with all their various uh, Pedro florimon related uh, paraphernalia and various toys and a big bed sheet that reads the Pedro Florman fan club and it's the year 2018.
0: Yeah, why is that continued to 2018? Like why Pedro Floromon of all people and Luckily, he's still a major leaguer, but, like, still, like, that's such a random player.
3: Well, I talked to the president and treasurer of, the, of this fan club.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. There are so many people. But is yeah. so, at for both roles.
3: Yeah, and it seemed like it was, like, a personal beef. You know, they're all in the Booster Club, and they thought Pedro was a good player, and a lot of other people in the Booster Club didn't. So I'm not sure if it was so much out of a love for Pedro, so much of maybe a disdain for fellow Booster Club members who uh, had dissenting opinions. They were like, oh. A splinter group? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it was like you don't like this guy. We're gonna be the Pedro Florimon fan club, and they had like you know rubber chickens and stuffed animals and voodoo dolls and all sorts of stuff. And you know baseball fosters these kind of uh, this kind of bizarre behavior. But it was Star Wars night, their first ever Star Wars night, and just a uh, fun day at the ballpark. Uh, what can I say?
0: And while you were also there, you got a chance to to speak with. Uh, I I don't want to call him baseball royalty, but he's part of a. Royal line, I guess, in baseball. Uh, Ryan Ripken, who plays first base in the Orioles organization, plays for Del Marva this season. Previously, he had some time in the NAT system, so he's kind of stayed around that whole uh, Beltway area, I guess. But what kind of stood out to you about him in your conversations with him? You know, somebody who's trying to make his way, but starting out here at Class A.
3: Yeah, you know, um, I felt almost guilty asking for an interview with Ryan Ripken just because it seemed like kind of obvious and what do you ask a guy who's Cal and son, who plays in the Orioles system except those things um, but it's a good story and you know I only spent about 15 minutes with the guy um, but I found him to be a earnest and thoughtful Person who's probably wise beyond his years because he's had to process a lot you know both good and bad Um, you know I think a childhood like his seems idyllic when you think of having a Hall of Fame father and not to mention an uncle who's also in the major leagues and Cal senior you know famous manager in the major leagues Uh, so obviously he had access to things that most kids don't in terms of his baseball experiences and opportunities Um, but also he's always been judged against an almost impossible standard and it's something he struggles with and he said he didn't initially want to be in the Euros organization Uh, For that reason, to at least have a little distance. Uh, But when he was released by the Nats uh, in March of 2017, you know the Orioles picked him up. Of course, a cynical person would say, "Of course he did. He's Cal Ripken's son." But you know what? What can you do? He's there. He's trying. And uh, I'm going to be rooting for the guy from here on out, and I think I got some uh, – you know, I think there's some good quotes in the story, and I appreciated uh, Ryan's time and speaking with me just about what it's like to be a Ripkin in the oil system and making your own way when you have such a burden of uh, expectations and preconceptions attached to your name.
2: Well, from that stop at Class A in the Orioles organization, you leapfrog over Class A Advanced Frederick and you hit up Double A Bowie in the Bay Sox. It was the first night that the Bay Sox got to uh, don their Copa de la Diversión identity, which is uh, the ghost crabs in the English translation. The Fantasmas Congregos. That's a very good pronunciation. I just said. You also met a, uh, a dog named Fiona. That was like the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. But tell us about Bowie.
3: Yeah, well, you know, Bowie, you guys have all seen it in the minor leagues. You know, minor leagues is all things, all people. So it's a Saturday night in Bowie, and yes, they are – dressing up as they're playing as the uh, ghost crabs the cangrejos uh, fantasmas and my Spanish is even worse than yours Tyler Um, you know there's an adoptable dog Fiona on the concourse there is art in the park with um, people painting you know murals and that that fans could step in and then you know kind of a paint by numbers style thing but there was artists all over the ballpark um, you know promoting their art and 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 some participants participatory art you know there's fireworks after the game it was just one of those like all hands on deck everything's going on at once kind of games and uh, again I hadn't been a buoy for seven years so uh, got a lot of great material to come still from there as well and you know when I go on the road I don't teams always say like well what do you want from us and to me it's not like I have some list of like here's what I need because every team's different I say well I have a designated eater and You know, I want to highlight the food. Sometimes teams put together some royal platter and put us in a suite, and sometimes me and the designated eater just walk around and pick our own food. You know, some teams try to get me into all sorts of between-inning stuff, and sometimes they leave me alone, and everything's okay. You know, it's minor league baseball. But this was a more participatory night, I would say, in Bowie, Um, highlighted or perhaps low-lighted by – I I was asked to dress up as a cockroach for a between-inning contest and then I was pummeled on the field by a kid and, you know, that, of course, is sponsored by a pest control company. Um, So that's one of my early season highlights thus far. And if you see the video, I have it on my blog and there'll be more to come on that as there's more to come from everything. But I think I did a pretty good job, you know, you know, deacon out the kid at first and uh you know taunting him a little bit playing up the heel role but then ultimately getting destroyed and crushed and annihilated as a cockroach uh you know kind of has to happen
0: yeah that may have been sponsored by a pest control company but i think tyler and i actually greased the kid to give it a couple extra shots there yeah <laughs> <at> the
2: <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised you set up a go fund me yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah well i appreciate it, man. anything anything uh I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Maybe I shouldn't appreciate no, that. No, <laughs> you shouldn't
0: appreciate that whatsoever. Then we have failed in our in-between innings entertainment.
3: Yeah. But if anyone wants to see me get pummeled in between innings, uh, yeah, start up a GoFundMe. Get someone to destroy me. Uh, rumor has it that I'm going, uh, well, I'm going to Harrisburg tomorrow on Thursday. And uh, it's been pitched that I go up against their ballpark's uh, reigning knockerball king. Uh, so that could be uh, – a brutal experience for me i don't even think you need to go fund me for that one but uh but we'll see um which transitions into yes i'm going to harrisburg tomorrow lehigh valley or uh lakewood on friday the Lakewood blue claws and the lehigh valley iron pigs on saturday uh sort of continuing with this northeast theme
2: benjamin hills on twitter he is at ben's biz there do you know if anybody adopted fiona
3: I don't. You know, we should look up into that. She was a total sweetheart. I was told her breed was pug-ish. Whatever that might mean. Um, like the sweetest little face. Yeah, Aww. and she was, um, you know, she was hyper, super hyper. In that picture of me, like my arms out. Um, you know, I just was trying to get her still enough for one photo, and that's the best I could do. She's kind of, you know, licking my arm and jumping all over the place. Uh, but you know, nothing like seeing a dog in person. Or cat. I'm a a huge cat person as well. Um, Seeing one in person and just thinking, you know what, maybe I could get a dog. Maybe I could get a cat. Uh, I'm not going to adopt one when I'm on the road and take it back to the hotel with me. But uh, it kind of makes me want to have one in my life.
2: Ben Hill on Twitter again at Ben's Biz. The blog is Benzbiz.mlblogs.com. You can check out the road trips and see if Ben when Ben will be coming to a town near you and uh enjoy Harrisburg and you know, as we learned over the off season, they don't have connections to actual senators, so they can't help you out with anything um, you know, legal or uh through actual legislation. But still, you know, the baseball side of things will presumably go on as planned.
3: Presumably, but uh there's uh, there's no guarantees in this business. But uh the whole night will kick off with a 1K beer race, so that should be an interesting way to start this portion of the road trip. Wait, how
0: does a 1K beer race work? Very uh, we
3: let you go. Yeah, you run a lap, drink a beer, run another lap, drink a beer, run another lap, drink a beer. Um, I guess three laps equals 1K, and you've drank three beers yeah, uh, right. in that time, and uh, you know no one would ever possibly vomit.
2: It would be ambitious for them to expect me to be able to make it through three laps sober. uh, (laughs) Oh, I thought you were going to say through three beers. Oh, no, no, no. Through three labs due to a terrible physical shape is what I'm saying.
3: Due to being totally Uh, out of shape. I'm right there with you. (laughs) And and fortunately, I can bow out of this because, hey, I have celiac disease and beer is uh, not gluten free. Otherwise, I still wouldn't do it. But now I have an excuse. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Tyler. And thank you uh, right here to my left, Sam Dykster. Final segment of
2: this edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. Uh, Big thanks to Trip Keister from the Potomac Nationals and Benjamin Hill for joining the show this week as always. Ben's on the road again coming up uh, to Harrisburg and um, checking out the Senators. Their ballpark is on an island in the middle of a river, which I, I never actually went to, but I think that's the case in Harrisburg. Sounds that's pretty cool. Um, Sam, MILB.TV, what are you watching this week? Folks can still get subscriptions. Check out uh, all the best on MILB.TV this season. We are still a month-plus out from the start of short season balls, so you're ahead of the game. Go get your subscription right now. What are you watching?
0: Yeah, well, I hope everybody's listening to this on Thursday immediately after we put it out, um, which you should all be doing anyways. But uh, if you're not – I apologize, but this one was too good to not mention. Uh, As we mentioned, you know, Ben will be in Harrisburg uh, Thursday night, May 10th, uh, you know, doing his thing. And that game will be on MILB.TV. Would love to see some screenshot of, like, Ben pop up somewhere, see if you can do a Where's Waldo with Ben in the crowd, something like that. Uh, That would be really cool. But that will be notable no matter what because the Harrisburg Senators are playing the New Hampshire Fisher Cats that night. Um, So that'll be really cool. You should be watching Vlad Guerrero Jr., Beau Bichette, uh, Kevin Biggio, that whole crew, whenever you get. We didn't get a chance to mention it yet, really, because it didn't really fit in any of our segments. But uh, if you get a chance, check out that Vlad Guerrero Jr. video, not only of him homering off a tee, homering off a tee the opposite way, which was absolutely crazy. Uh, But also homering off a hotel later the same night. Uh, that, that was completely crazy. He had a two-homer game earlier this week. Um, got to show off in front of, I think it was MLB Network crew with Carlos Pena there, a guy who knows a little bit about home runs. Um, but also went deep later that night in the actual game. We've got video of that. We covered the whole story. It's it's all up on the site. But uh, any chance you get to see Vlad now, you should. You don't know what he's going to do every night except for it's probably going to involve two or three hits. Maybe a dinger, a double, a triple, any of that kind of stuff. Um, So, yeah, Thursday is a great opportunity because when Vlad's not on screen, maybe Ben will. So, uh, you know, check that out if you can and and send any screenshots you have of Ben to us. That would be great
2: podcast and MILB.com. Coming up on Friday night, Dylan Cease in the Chicago White Sox organization, the reigning Carolina League pitcher of the week. He goes to the mound for Class A Advance Winston-Salem against the Down East Wood Ducks at home in Winston at BB&T ballpark. So you can uh, check out that one it's a BB&T ballpark in winston there's so many stadiums sponsored by bbnt i can't remember which is which i think it's ballpark and charlotte is also bbnt ballpark and there's, there's also
0: like B- pnc fields and parks and yeah all that yeah. kind of stuff there. and
2: fifth third bank they sponsor a whole bunch of different naming rights across the minor leagues as well um this is a random aside. Uh, Dylan <laughs> Seas, though, coming up on Friday. He will be uh, taking them out for the Class A Advanced Winston-Salem Dash, and you can check him out at MILB.tv as well. So that'll do it for this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. Or thanks again to Trip Keister from the Potomac Nationals, and you uh, can catch the peanuts on MILB.tv as well as they make their way through the Carolina League to MILK TV destinations. And uh, we'll wrap it up for this week. Until next week, enjoy uh, another weekend of baseball. We'll talk to you then.